Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. Among the different Gospels that we hear today, the foremost among them is that of the, the wheat and the weeds in the field. And once again, our Lord explains it to us. And from this parable, we can get, receive, we can learn this lesson, two lessons rather, the need for ourselves to be patient with others and also just how patient God is with us. So the situation in this parable, it's a very plausible one for the first century. There were actually people who would sow weeds in their neighbor's field in order to take revenge against them. That was a real difficulty that some farmers faced. In fact, there were even Roman laws specifically forbidding this. The, the weed that was probably sown in this parable was the darnel seed. The darnel seed is one which, in the beginning, is very similar to the wheat. In fact, you can't tell them apart until the time comes for the harvest, until the grains begin to emerge. Then you can see the difference between the golden brown of the wheat and this kind of sickly black of the darnel seed. And you can't collect them all together. You can't eat both the darnel weed and the wheat. The darnel seed actually had a poisonous kind of effect if you were to mix it with wheat flour or dough. But you couldn't uproot it either, like the servants wanted to do, because the, the, the roots would intermingle. So you would have this good wheat with its roots intermingled with the weeds. And so if you rip out the one, you rip out the both of them. So you have to wait until they both are fully grown. And so, that would be when the separation takes place. And the principal explanation of the parable comes from our Lord. He tells us what to do, and he tells us why to do it in this parable. What our Lord is telling us to do is to be patient with evildoers. Why our Lord is telling us to do that is because there will be a reckoning, because there will be a judgment, because justice will be administered. Each will, will receive in accordance with his deeds at the end of the age, at the last judgment. On the day of judgment, those weeds and the wheat that during life here on earth are always intermingled, always found together, side by side, almost indistinguishable, on the day of judgment, they will be separated. On the day of judgment, the weeds, the sons of the devil, the wicked of the earth and those who cause others to sin, they will be taken to the fiery furnace where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. On the other hand, the righteous, they will shine like the stars in the kingdom of their father. So it's important for us to remember that not everybody ends up in the same place. But until then, until that time of separation, we need to be patient with those evildoers, those imperfect individuals, the weeds, that we are inevitably going to be surrounded by. Now, that does not mean that we should never call evil by its name. That does not mean we should never correct a sinner. That does not mean we cannot punish people when they do wrong. We all agree that if there's somebody who is addicted to drugs, there's need for an intervention. We need to somehow bring that use of drugs to an end. If there is a priest who behaves inappropriately, he should be treated accordingly. He should be punished, removed from ministry. 
That is something good and necessary. We don't need to simply say, well, we're supposed to tolerate the weeds like this guy, so just let him there. If there is a police officer who behaves inappropriately in the line of duty, there's a need for us to take action in order to correct that abuse of his position. There's a need for us also to correct publicly those public officials who support immoral laws or behave immorally, lest we get the wrong impression that it's okay to support these immoral policies. So sometimes that's necessary, but more often on a day-to-day -day basis, there is a need for us to be patient with those people around us, those imperfect individuals. The solution is not always going to be uprooting those bad folks. So in our personal lives, for example, we might have that very disagreeable family member who always makes trouble every time we get together. Or we might have a difficult coworker who slacks off on the job. The solution is not always to complain to the boss so the coworker gets fired. The solution is not to simply uninvite or to not invite that disagreeable relative. In the church as well, we've got weeds here. We all know it, we all see it. Our pastor might not be the most agreeable of individuals. There might be a bumper sticker there in the parking lot that is supporting an immoral policy or um, uh, immoral cause. We could have a bishop in our diocese that is either downright immoral, we think is incompetent, or all the above. So Jesus is telling us, we shouldn't be surprised when we see those bad things happening, even within the church, when we find these bad seeds. The perfect family, the perfect job, the perfect home, the perfect church, the perfect pastor, the perfect whatever, is not going to be found here on earth. Only in heaven will we have the perfection of those organizations. So for now, we've got to be patient with what we've got, trusting that the presence of weeds does not mean that the whole field is corrupt. Like the fact that there is a cop on the job who does something wrong doesn't mean the whole force is corrupt. Now, being patient like this with those evildoers is imitating the patience of God. That's important for us to remember. It's not just about, okay, how do I treat my neighbor? Or like, what is it that they do to me and I do to them? Our religion is first and foremost about God. And it's helpful for us to remember that God is always being so patient with us. In fact, one of the church fathers said that this parable today is basically, how, is basically a parable of divine patience. This church father said that the sinners represented by the weeds, they're not immediately pulled out because God is holding out for their conversion. There's still hope for them. Weeds that are sown are always going to be weeds, but people can change. Our nature is not fixed. Maybe we know people that are separated from the church. Maybe we ourselves have, at times in our lives, or even now, find ourselves being distant from God. But unlike plants, we can change. We can change from being a weed to being a wheat. And as St. Peter the Apostle tells us in his letter, God's patience is directed towards our salvation. And you can just look at the history of the church to see how important this divine patience is, like how many saints we would be deprived of if it weren't for the patience of God. You know, starting with St. Peter himself, Jesus did not immediately cut him off from the apostolic band when he committed apostasy. Mary Magdalene was not simply condemned to continue her life of immoral living. 
St. Augustine lived for 30 years without believing in the one true God. St. Ignatius of Loyola spent most of his early youth not caring about God. St. Camillus de Lelis, he was a man who was addicted to gambling and he was a soldier for hire in Italy in the 17th century. He converted and he founded a congregation that was dedicated to the care of the sick. We've got this soon-to-be canonized Blessed Charles of Foucauld. He spent the first 30 years of his life or so living it up. He was traveling across Africa. He was an atheist at best. And he was not at all interested in God. But he came around, he became a hermit, and he laid the seeds of the gospel in North Africa. And so many more people who turned their lives around. We can probably all look at our own lives and say, oh, God has been patient with me. He's given me a second chance so many times. And Elizabeth Ann Seton was another person who had to be patient with sinners, sinners like her children, because she was a saint, but her children is another, are another story. Her eldest son, William, entered the Navy, and it seems that he wasn't continuing to practice his faith after that. She wrote to him, urging him to do so. She said, do not enter eternity quite unprepared, especially when it's the only end of our existence here below to prepare for it. But William didn't really heed the calls of his mother. He went off to the Navy and he continued to live up the life. And he embarked on a frigate, the USS Macedonian, for what was supposed to be a three-year journey without receiving the sacraments, without preparing himself, without having much interest in God still. And they got to the Bermuda Triangle where, when a hurricane hit them. And in the midst of this, the first night of the storm, William was having a dream below deck when his, that his mother appeared to him and she asked him, are you prepared? And he immediately woke up, he sprung out of bed, and he found the water up to his knees on the inside of the boat. And he knew exactly what that question meant. And he knew that he was not prepared. And so even though the storm could have easily sunk the whole boat, in fact, there were a number of sailors that were killed on, that, on account of that storm, they were swept overboard, he survived, and when the USS Macedonian limped back into harbor in Norfolk, he immediately got leave, he, went, he came down here to Emmitsburg, he confessed his sins, he received the sacraments. He could have died right then and there on the high seas, not being prepared. But God was patient with him, God gave him a second chance, and he seemed to have made good on it. And so the question is, are we prepared? Are we right now amongst the weeds, or are we right now among the wheat? And the way we make sure that we're among the wheat is through the sacrament of confession. It's important that we realize this sacrament is the only ordinary way of receiving the forgiveness for our sins. During this time of coronavirus, a lot of people are talking about how you can receive forgiveness through the perfect act of contrition. And it's true, if you make a perfect act of contrition, if you are truly repentant for what you have done, because you love God so much and you hated the fact that you offended him and you're not just sorry because you're going to go to hell if you don't, if you're not sorry. So if you manage to make a perfect act of contrition, yes, the sins will in fact be forgiven. But 
in order for that perfect act of contrition to be complete, there has to be a resolution to get to sacramental confession as soon as possible. There's this unfortunate tendency in the church these days to individualize the process of forgiveness of sins. There are many people who are under the impression that, well, I tell God every night I'm sorry, and so I know I'm forgiven, and so I'm covered, I'm good. I come to the sacrament just to feel good or to simply because that's sometimes things that we do. But it's plain and simply, that's not what Jesus taught us ever in any part of the scriptures. Maybe Muhammad taught that to his followers, maybe Martin Luther taught that, maybe the Buddha or Confucius taught that, but Jesus Christ did not teach that. And so we cannot go about making our own way of forgiveness. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are not trailblazers. We don't determine how we get forgiveness for our sins. God tells us through Christ. And he's the one who made the way to receive forgiveness through the sacraments of confession. And we're fine with most of the other sacraments. Like, we all believe that, okay, if I want to come to life spiritually, i got to get baptized by water. Like, nobody says, well, I'm just going to pass a test, and that's good enough for me. I'm going to come to life spiritually by passing a catechetical test. No, nobody thinks that. God told us that we need to get baptized by water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so we do it. Nobody thinks that, okay, for the consecration of the Mass, we're going to consecrate cheese and soda. No, he told us bread and wine. He used bread and wine. So we use bread and wine. And so too, when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, God established the way, not us. We have to go the way that he showed us, that he taught us, that he wants us to go. And when we go, it's helpful to remember, we're not giving a report here. We're not simply saying what happened in our lives. When we go to confession, we are accusing ourselves. I confess, I am guilty, I am culpable for these things. We're not just going there to get encouraged. We are going there to admit our defects in order that we might receive that absolution which comes from on high. And this is the last thing. In order to make sure that we're actually going to confession with that mentality, with the mentality of accusing ourselves and not simply explaining ourselves, St. Jose Maria Escriva said we should do four things, or rather there are four criteria that should be present in each of our confessions. It should be concise, it should be concrete, it should be clear, and it should be um, complete. It should be concise in the sense that we just use enough words necessary to present what we have done. It should be concrete in the sense that we're not going to make some vague generalization or vague, we're not going to be vague about what we have done. It should be clear in the sense that we should make understood what we have fallen into, and it should be complete in that we don't leave out anything because of embarrassment, and we should include the number of the serious sins we've fallen into. It's a little bit of a catechetical point, but it could be helpful to make our confessions concise, to make them concrete, to make them clear, and to make them complete. And if we're not ready yet for confession, just start praying the rosary, and Mary will help you get there. Let's ask the Blessed Virgin Mary right now that she might obtain for us that grace to be patient with one another, to be patient with those people that are currently acting like weeds, just as we know our Heavenly Father is patient with us who are also sinners.